0: Specialty Story, session number 70. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. And welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here. I used to say every week here on Specialty Stories, but I can't say that because it's hard getting guests for this podcast. So if you have any physician friends, family, people you shadow, people who you work with, physicians you work with, and you think they would be a good guest here on Specialty Stories, and I haven't covered their specific specialty, both specialty and setting, right? Clinical versus academic, or clinical, private versus academic, community versus academic. Shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. I would love to put out these podcast episodes more consistently, but I need your help with that. Again, email me, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Our guest today is somebody who I've had on the pre-med years podcast before. In session 273, if you are interested in osteopathic manipulation. If you're an if you're an osteopathic med student right now, you're not quite sold on OMT or you still have some questions about it. Go to medicalschoolhq.net/273 and you can listen to the episode that I did with Dr. Daniel Clearfield about osteopathic medicine. Now, Dr. Clearfield is a family sports medicine physician who's been out of training now for 7 years in private practice, used to do academics, but now is in private practice. He's gonna talk about his specialty with us today. We start by finding out how Daniel got interested in sports medicine.
1: I found kinesiology as a major in college uh, my sophomore year. I started out mechanical engineering, didn't like it. I started doing kinesiology and I just loved it. And uh, I was already a personal trainer and I was learning about the anatomy, biomechanics, exercise, physiology, and I was like, this is great. What can I do with this so that I can keep doing this? And what's a challenging path with it? And there were the different paths that you could take, such as uh, a lot of people in my major, they end up becoming coaches or personal trainers. And I was like, hey, I'm already doing that. And uh, a lot of people uh, started looking at like physical therapy as well, which was a path that I kind of took a look at. But then I, um, you know, they said, hey, you could be like a sports medicine physician. And uh, specifically, just more working in musculoskeletal medicine. I started looking at challenging paths such as uh, orthopedic surgery, uh, physiatry, uh, physical medicine, rehabilitation, and then uh, primary care sports medicine. And uh, it was primary care sports medicine that kind of uh, appealed to me the most when I uh, um, did my uh, externship in college. But I, so that's where I kind of came into medical school thinking that's what I wanted to do. But I still want to give everything its fair shot once I went on my uh, rotations. But you know, lo and behold, it was what I was passionate about. It's uh, I kind of ended up doing exactly what I was planning on doing uh, from uh, when I discovered kinesiology back my sophomore year of college.
0: What was it about that family sports medicine that really drew you to it?
1: You know, I liked it that I, for one, some people walk into the operating room and they're just like, wow, this is amazing. I I love this. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's just the operating room wasn't for me. It was cold. My back hurt. I was tired of holding this thing or that (laughs) thing. You know, I was like, I got to pee and I can't leave right now. It was uh, the operating room just never really just uh, um, appealed to me. When I took a look at uh, physiatry, I liked the musculoskeletal aspects, but they were dealing with a lot of people that were, you know, severely disabled. And uh, again, I was like, you know, to each their own. That's, you know, uh, it's a great noble kind of profession, but it just didn't really appeal to me as much when i looked at primary care sports medicine you know we were seeing we were seeing the kids we were seeing the adults we were seeing the grandparents we were seeing all ages so you know, it was kind of like that whole scope of family medicine where you can see some, you know from uh, cradle to grave and so and then you don't you're not really limited as to what you can uh, see or do some people try to restrict their practices you know there's definitely some orthopedic surgeons that prefer to do just you know they're more i'm a hand surgeon I'm a foot and ankle surgeon, and so they kind of try to focus their practice more on that. And you can be a general orthopedist, but still, still you sometimes have a limited scope in a sense. And I felt like I, um, you know, primary care sports medicine really allowed me to, uh, you know, just delve into all the different things that can involve family doctor, what they might see from a broad scope of things, but focus it more into the sports kind of aspect or movement kind of aspect, keeping people moving, keeping people active, doing things to keep people going better. And definitely, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of physicians suffer burnout from, especially like primary care physicians, is noncompliance of patients, patients that are just apathetic about trying to just do things to try to better themselves. You know, we're like trying to coach them on, hey, you need to kind of start doing diet, you need to start doing exercise, you need to get off your butt, you need to start doing these things. And a lot of times when you you know, and, and granted in sports medicine, we do see those kind of patients where we need to kind of you know, coax them to kind of be doing those things. But for the most part, when you're seeing people that are athletic, when you're seeing people that are athletes are trying to be active, sometimes they get injured and sometimes you have to say, okay, we actually need to actually slow you down a little bit. But you know, sometimes athletes are kind of ADD. So it's like, okay, you can't be doing this sport right now, but let me kind of find something to substitute while we're trying to help you rehabilitate. So I can come up with some cross training things. I I just love the variety of what I can do and ways that we can do to keep people moving, keep people active, and make sure that they're safely doing it.
0: What sort of traits do you think lead to being a good sports medicine doc?
1: Definitely the same kind of things that I think draw a lot of people towards things like uh, primary care, just being a family doctor. I definitely feel that is helpful because you have to be a personable kind of individual. Do you have to have been an athlete to be a sports medicine doctor is uh, one of those questions I get asked pretty often. And no, but it helps. You know, it's like my main sport from high school was wrestling. I dabbled in everything. I played football for a long time as well. You know, I I wouldn't say I played basketball. I showed up and tried to play basketball. I ran cross country. I did track. I've done a lot of different sports. I've had a lot of sports injuries. So I have a lot of empathy for my athletes from that. But uh, being an athlete, having that mindset, that definitely is something that helps in sports medicine. I feel like the athlete just kind of... uh, Anybody who was an athlete gets that mentality and is able to kind of better connect with their patients, with their athletes that they see. And uh, and we can serve as good kind of role models. You know, I always talk to my uh, medical students and residents and fellows about being a good physician role model. What are you doing for your own fitness? Showing your patients that you're trying to kind of maintain yourself well as uh, too. And so just having that kind of a, it doesn't mean that there aren't obese sports medicine patients. You know, physicians, but uh, um, at the same time, I'd like to say it's like I just got back from my uh, annual sports medicine conference last week, and you know, so many of us are in such great shape. It's like it's, you know, it's it's it sometimes it's like a competition. It's like who's going to show up the most, you know, cut this year. And uh, some people are just in like this fantastic shape. And so, you know, we're people that really value exercise, we value health, we value activity. People that are active individuals who want to get others active and want to inspire others.
0: What sorts of patients and diseases are you treating on a daily basis?
1: Different people have different scopes. The one saying that I always talk about when I'm trying to market myself is I say I cover from toes to nose. I'll see anything from your you know, your stubbed or broken or turf toe all the way up until your, uh, you fracture your nose from a wrestling meet. Or if you have a concussion, I can see that. I can see any Fractures, dislocations. Now, at the same time, I tell people I'm not a surgeon. I'm not looking to try to do surgery. I know my limits. I had an ankle fracture that was referred to me today, and I took a look at it. and I know what my limitations are. And I was like, "This is a, this is an unstable comminuted fracture. This needs to go to a surgeon." And so I referred it over for a surgical evaluation. Most fractures, you know, a lot of dislocations, those type of things, they don't need to go see orthopedics necessarily. I know how to manage those type of things. So I can see the common sprain strains, fractures, dislocations. I can see any of those type of things. A lot of times people need to be reminded that sports uh, medicine doctors uh, tend to be concussion experts as well. Some of us have different levels, varying levels of concussion expertise. I'm definitely valued as one of the concussion experts in my area of North Texas. And I, I say it's kind of a blessing and a curse because it's great that I know what to do with it, but some of them are very complex kind of cases that we have to deal with. And every now and then we're finding some other interesting kind of uh, diagnoses with it. It's pretty cool as far as the different fields that it kind of crosses over. You know, it's like uh, sometimes like uh, when I travel with the U.S. wrestling team as their sports medicine doc, if I'm just overseas with them, then I'm acting as their sports medicine doctor. Like I can be there for orthopedic injuries there as their family doctor. If they have a cold, if they have uh, any kind of infection that I need to treat. Um, there is their psychologist if they're having any kind of mental kind of issues while they're, uh, you know, just kind of overseas there. Sometimes there is their athletic trainer if they need any kind of uh, or physical therapist if they need any kind of rehab that needs to be done or if there's any kind of taping that needs to be done. So there's like uh, several different kind of roles that you kind of cross over. And then uh, if they get any kind of uh, neurologic injury, all of a sudden I'm like the neurologist or if there's a concussion, I'm the neurologist on that. And every now and then, uh, it crosses over into the rheumatology field as well. There tends to be a lot of crossover of uh, musculoskeletal medicine and rheumatology as well. So uh, I had a patient that came in for joint pain today, and I'm working them up for polymyositis and seeing if I need to get them over to rheumatology. So again, just lots of different things. What's really cool is uh, you're never—it seems like unless you really limit your practice, you're going to be challenged. You're mentally going to be very stimulated, very challenged. There's a lot of different things that you need to know about, a lot of different things that are uh, I'm continuing to kind of learn about. And just like any part of medicine, it's a lifelong learning experience. And uh, the more that I learn, the less I'm finding that there's things, you know, sometimes we talk about it sees us, but we don't see it. And I think that's really much a limitation as to how much we know about certain things. And I keep reading, I keep learning, I keep going to conferences, I keep teaching and educating myself further. And. So my, the, I'd say that the scope of my practice continues to grow because of that.
0: How many patients or what percentage of patients would you say are coming to you already diagnosed versus they're just coming with a general complaint and you have to figure out what's wrong with them?
1: That's a good question. And then I guess a, a further one would be how many are coming to me with a diagnosis that's correct and <laughs> needs uh, you know further clarification. So like a, uh, You know, I work in a uh, primary care setting and I was sent somebody for low back pain and I looked at the note and he said that uh, he thinks that, uh, you know, she actually sprained her sacroiliac joint. And I was like, boom, nailed it. You know, it's like a lot of people don't get sacroiliac joint. You know, it's like it's one of those kind of uh, just missed diagnoses where they're saying, oh, I think it's sciatica or it's a disc kind of issue. And it's like, no, that was a sacroiliac joint. So I was like, hey, good job there. So sometimes it's the, you know, depends on who your referral source is. Sometimes it depends on what setting they're in. You know, it's like uh, one of my uh, former uh, residents who's an attending now and uh, definitely one of my referral sources, you know, she's just in a system where she has to be seeing so many kind of patients. So she's like, yeah, do I have time to you know, go through and do a thorough examination like you taught me to kind of do and figure out exactly what's kind of going on with them? No, but do I have time to kind of say, "Okay, it's probably this. Let me kind of send it over to Clearfield and he'll figure it out. He'll get them going in the right direction. And so that's, you know, sometimes how I get some of my referrals from them. I definitely, you know, one one thing that's pretty cool is uh, I've become like this second opinion type person or sometimes fourth opinion or sixth opinion on uh, different things. And uh, I've been able to figure things out just because I read a lot and I learn a lot. And so I every now and then I actually I've, I've prided myself. I've seen two patients that have been to the Mayo Clinic. We're not diagnosed over there. And then uh, I was able to figure it out. I'm not saying I'm, you know, the best diagnostician, but I'd like to say I'm a pretty good diagnostician and I can figure out some things that others can't.
0: Describe a typical day.
1: So, I mean, my schedule's, you know, pretty variable, but I, uh, work, uh, I work five days a week. I have a 40-hour-a-week schedule. So that's, you know, fairly routine as far as how that's going to be going. Uh, During a football season, there's definitely uh, you know football games that are going to be working on Friday nights. Uh, If I need it, I will go to a training room over at the uh, with the athletic trainers over at the high school of uh, one or more of the high schools that I cover at least once a week, just to try to go and see some of the athletes just at the point of care at the school. And so, uh, um, again, that's during the football season. Once we're outside of football season, sometimes it varies. For example, uh, this weekend, I'm going to be covering a USA Wrestling event, which is uh, over in Irving, Texas, about 20 minutes away from where I live. And so I'm going to be spending uh, all day Saturday and Sunday kind of out over at the uh, convention center covering that. And then the following weekend, I have a a state judo tournament that I'm going to be covering just on that Saturday. You know, there's plenty of times where I have my weekends free, but there's plenty of times I find myself working a tournament. A lot of these events, you know, are they mandatory? Are they part of my uh, salary? No, a lot of these I'm just uh, volunteering at. And uh, it's a mix of, uh, you know, for one, I'm just passionate about cover- you know, being a wrestler, and loving those kind of combat sports, and being a team doc with USA Wrestling and Judo. I find myself covering those events when they come to Texas. And that's definitely a passion of mine that I just enjoy. And I like to bring out medical, medical students and residents so that they can kind of experience and see the, uh, what kind of goes into the mindset of the sports med doc covering these things. And then, uh, sometimes there's other events like, uh, marathons or half marathons that I'll be covering also that just, uh, varies depending on the time of the year and what kind of things are needed as far as being able to kind of give back to the community with that. As far as my, uh, day to day type thing, uh, schedule can vary. Uh, it can really be interesting. There's uh, times where I'm like, man, I have done a procedure on literally every single patient today, whether it be an injection, whether it be osteopathic manipulation, there's, you know, days where I'm like, man, I've been busy. I've just been doing procedure, procedure, procedure. And then I have other days where I'm like, man, I haven't done any procedures, like literally all day long. And so more commonly than not, I'm doing procedures. I, uh, um, today, I worked from eight thirty until two, today's my short day. And I did 11 procedures today. So not a, not a small amount in that, uh, you know, short amount of time. So but that was a that was a lot. I think I did a procedure on almost. I think on every on every patient except for the one that I had the uh, the fracture that I had to send to ortho. I did a procedure on today. So, but that's that's what's kind of fun about it. You know, sometimes you're like you can look at your schedule, you can kind of start mentally planning for your day, but sometimes you don't know exactly what's going to be thrown at you until you get there.
0: Do you have to take a lot of call?
1: No, no. I think it depends on your practice. I. And it depends on the type of uh, practice that you're in. I'm in a, my practice now is uh, I'm the only sports medicine doc, and then I, I mean, it's a family clinic. And so typically there's going to be, uh, you know, call one night a week and then a weekend call like once a month, which really isn't that bad. And to be honest, I don't really get too many calls. And I've never had any really serious calls or anything that really had to kind of go after. Uh, just uh, occasionally I had to do something with that. I remember one time I, was, I totally forgot I was on call and I was uh, out in Colorado and I was rock climbing with my friends out <laughs> in uh, Durango and I'm like literally halfway up the uh, the mountain and I just like got a, um, I got a, I felt my phone ringing and so I just stopped what I was doing and I answered a call while I was like about 100 feet up in the air, which <laughs> was, was probably not the smartest thing, but I thought it was kind of a cool story to tell. I was like, oh, here's a good opportunity to tell that. Yeah, But uh, call, call's not so bad. When I was with the uh, ortho group, I... Back when I was teaching over at the Health Science Center, we would also have a similar call, which wasn't too bad. The orthopedic surgeons realized there was three of us that were not orthopedic. We had uh, two sports medicine doctors, myself and one of my other uh, colleagues was a primary care sports med. And we had uh, one physiatrist, a PM&R doc that was with us. And so none of us took the ortho post-operative call from the hospitals, but we took any of the clinic call. So, uh, they had, so they had it divided into clinic call and hospital call. And so we weren't a part of the hospital call.
0: Do you feel like you have enough time for a family?
1: Oh, definitely. It's, you know, uh, that's something that I've done. I'm, I'm a, I'm a single father. I have full custody of my daughter. And so, uh, looking at the type of a uh, job that I'm in and being able to kind of make sure that I have time to watch my daughter grow up, that I can be there for her for things. Uh, That's been a huge priority. And I could say earlier in my career, I always said that family was first, but uh, it was definitely a time, especially while I was going going through my divorce, where I was just investing myself into work because I just didn't want to go home. And uh, so I really shifted my priorities when I got custody of my daughter and she has been my absolute number one. And I, the way that I have my schedule set up, it it affords me a lot of time to spend with her, which has been great.
0: What's the training path look like to get to become a sports medicine doc?
1: Sure. So, you know, as you kind of go through medical school, you need to know that you want to be a uh, sports med doc. No, but it's good to start kind of doing some coverage opportunities, especially when you're in your first couple of years because that's where there's a lot of opportunities. Our sports medicine club, over at TCOM, the Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine, uh, and that's where I graduated from, and then I was faculty until a couple of years ago. We we get the sports medicine club very active as far as coverage of events. So getting on the sideline for football games, showing up at pre-participation physical events, uh, making sure that I, you know if there's wrestling tournaments or whatever, uh, boxing tournaments, you know, getting people out there, and so I uh, you know so getting saturated with those sports medicine experiences in your first two years is a great opportunity to say hey is this something that you might be interested in doing and then once you're in your third and fourth year i mean to be honest when i was in my third and fourth year i wanted to do a sports medicine rotation but i needed to figure out i wasn't exactly sure what i wanted to do or where i wanted to go for uh, once i figured i wanted to do family medicine in my third year then i had to figure out where i wanted to go and i used a lot of my elective rotations in fourth year to do auditions all over the country before I could settle on a good program for that. So before you, you know, the thing is sports medicine is not a primary specialty. It's a subspecialty off of a primary care sports medicine right now. There's six different paths that you can take in a primary care sports medicine. You can do family medicine. You can do internal medicine. You can do emergency medicine. You can do pediatrics. You could do physical medicine, rehabilitation, and in the osteopathic world, you can do, neuromuscular medicine slash osteopathic manipulative medicine. So those are those six paths that you can take into primary care sports medicine from the neurology end. uh um, if from a neural, as far as I know, there's only one program over at a uh, university of Michigan where they have a sports neurology fellowship that you can do from there from orthopedic surgery. After you do a five-year ortho residency, you can do a, a one to two year sports medicine fellowship from there. And then, uh, Physiatry, physical medicine, rehabilitation—they have their own specific uh, sports medicine uh, fellowship program, also. So, if you do PM and R, you can do either a primary care sports medicine fellowship or a orthopedic, or an uh, orthopedic—I'm sorry, uh, or a physiatric sports medicine fellowship. So, a lot of different paths that you can kind of take there. But uh, the one thing I always tell the uh, the students also is that you know before you can be a good sports medicine doctor. You need to be good at whatever your primary field is because you're going to branch off from that. So if you're going to be an orthopedic surgeon, you need to be a well-rounded orthopedic surgeon before you can be a good, you know, subspecialist in sports medicine. If you're going to be a good primary care sports medicine doctor, you need to be a good family medicine or internist or whatever your uh, pathway that you take. So there's a lot of people who just say, I'm only going to be sports medicine. They have that tunnel vision and they kind of neglect some of the things that they need to kind of uh, do well at in their primary specialty. And I feel like those are definitely deficient individuals because the field really does encompass so many different things. That said, I mean, some things that I'm deficient in from my uh, family medicine background is because I never had any kind of plans on having being well-rounded in that and things like uh, the obstetric gynecologic kind of end of it, just more on the women's health end of that. I just knew I wasn't going to be doing much with that. And so I was like, hey, if other residents want to kind of get a little bit more saturated with those opportunities, go ahead. I'm going to kind of focus more on on this over here. They knew I wanted to do sports medicine, but I didn't want to be just labeled as only the sports medicine guy. I wanted to get a well-rounded experience, but at the same time, I didn't need to be super well-rounded where I was going to be doing things like obstetrics, where I'm like, I know I'm not going to be doing obstetrics. Mm
0: -hmm. How competitive is it to match into one of the... Primary care sports medicine fellowships.
1: I, I want to say it's uh, pretty darn competitive. You know, it's like I mean, I was I was fortunate that I you know I was able to get into get into one myself. I really worked hard to uh, you know set myself up to be a very good candidate for uh, doing that kind of field. But uh, I've had mentees uh, that I uh, have gotten sports fellowships and uh some of them had to you know one of them had to uh he didn't you know he re- i thought he was a really good candidate he had been working with me for years he had been volunteering at several different kinds of events and so he had a pretty groomed cd kind of coming into it and for whatever reason he didn't get in his uh, first year he applied he got in his second year and he applied he was persistent he went back he worked for a year came back and reapplied and then got into it now he's out in practice and he's you know doing well with it but uh uh, as far as, you know, things that kind of, uh, you know, groom yourself to be good, you know, people that show that continuity that you, you know, it's like, uh, if you just showed up, you had that last minute idea that, oh, I want to do sports medicine. You don't really totally know what it's about. That's not going to seem to attract it. So even if you're somebody that, you know, just destroyed your boards, uh, um, you did extremely well throughout your residency. If you didn't show that kind of, uh, that passion towards doing this field, then that's definitely going to be something that's going to sway program directors from taking a look at you. But uh, also from a research standpoint, you know, have you done any research? Have you done any case reports that have uh, been involved in this field or that has or just showing that you have the predilection to do those type of things? Because uh, more programs, we have academic type requirements where you need to make sure that you're uh, having some sort of academic work. And I, uh, when I was a fellowship director um, back when I was over at TCOM, I made sure that our fellows uh, every year produced at least one case presentation that was worthy of presentation, and one research project that with the same, and uh, looking to try to get those published as well. So if you can get published, fantastic. I think that's a huge thing. At the very least, have uh, having a presentation that you put together, or at least uh, a podium presentation, a poster presentation. Something along those lines. I definitely feel like it uh, adds to your CV and makes you a better candidate.
0: As a DO, have you seen any negative bias towards yourself or other osteopathic physicians from the sports med world?
1: You know, I think I think this is a. I felt discriminated against as a DO in some places. I know when I was applying towards uh, some fellowships, there were some that I looked at and. For the most part, you know, it's like a, um, a lot of the ACGME allopathic programs have had open arms and they openly accept DOs into their program. There were a couple that I found were a little bit restrictive where they wanted you to have gone through ACGME residency program, not an AOA I, um, accredited residency program. I'm not sure if that's changing with this ACGME merger that's happening, but I there was a couple things I encountered with that. But for the most part, as I When I go to conferences, when I go to national conferences that are both uh, DO and MD, such as the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine, the AMSSM, I definitely find that some of the people that have buyer's remorse on their allopathic degrees are going to be primary care sports med docs as well as physiatrists, PM&R docs, because they realize the value of learning the osteopathic manipulation, osteopathic manipulative medicine. They realize having that extra kind of tool in your in your armamentarium to be able to treat people is so helpful. And, I, uh, I, and so many of the athletes appreciate that. I can say, uh, when I, I went out to the Olympic training center and did my uh, Olympic internship five years ago in, uh, 2013. And while I was out there, I was busy. I was, uh, I was doing a lot of minute. you know, I would see the athletes, I would evaluate them. I would figure out what's going on. And then most of the time I would be able to do some sort of treatment. And they love the fact, you know, especially Olympic athletes. They love the fact that you can treat them with your hands because they don't want to take a pill. They don't want, even if it's like ibuprofen or Tylenol, they don't want to accidentally test positive for anything. You know, they've come to this extreme level. They devoted their lives. They don't want to test negative on anything as far as from an anti-doping kind of standpoint. And so I, uh, and so if you can treat them just with your hands, then they are all for that. So I was really busy when I was out there. I had a um, one of my MD friends. He went out there I, um, about a year after I did. And he was like, man, I was pretty bored while I was there, you know, because it's like I just kind of, you know, I would figure things out with the athlete and then I would send him over to the physical therapist or the chiropractor or the athletic trainer and let them work on him. But I was just kind of twiddling my thumbs. and I was like, yeah, that wasn't the case with me. And I, I felt like I developed a better rapport with a lot of the athletes because of that.
0: That's awesome. What do you wish primary care physicians who who are non-sports med docs, what do you wish they knew about sports med physicians and what you do day in and day out to help their patients better, help you treat your patients better?
1: Well, for one, a lot of people think, well, oh, I can't refer over to sports medicine or patients think I, I shouldn't go to sports medicine because they're like, I'm not an athlete. They think all, you know, we only take care of athletes. We only take care of elite level athletes. And I you know, always say that uh, anybody that moves as an athlete, we just have varying levels of athletes. So we have that couch potato that's barely moving, that we need to really try to get moving. And then we have that elite level, you know, ultra marathoner or, or Olympic athlete or professional athlete that is just trying to kind of keep, keep their edge, trying to make sure that they're uh, um, staying at that top level. And so for one, just being aware of like, uh, we can see anybody that has any kind of ache, pain, you know, it's like, uh, again, there's a little bit of a crossover into the pain management realm too. You know, people that have different kinds of pains that are preventing them from staying active and uh, being able to do certain things, we can do things uh, other than pharmacologic means only to be able to kind of keep them moving, keep them active. I see a lot of arthritic patients uh, uh, where we need to do sometimes a steroid, sometimes um, some uh, physical therapy, other rehabilitation, but, you know, it's about finding, and a lot of times also finding things that are wrong in their biomechanical chain, looking at their whole kinetic chain, seeing where they have deficiencies, where, you know, is this too tight? Is this too loose? Is this too unstable? You know, what is kind of transferring their energy through their body, not enabling them to uh, um, be able to do whatever activity that they'd like to do or preventing them from being able to get more active because uh, um, this is hurting or that is hurting. And so, uh, you know, I I say like, uh, you know, family medicine should have a, they should have a panel of patients and these should be lifelong patients. If I have a panel of patients, then I'm not doing my job, right? My job is to kind of put myself out of business and then get new patients in there constantly. Cause if I'm not getting patients better and uh, fixing what's kind of going on or guiding their bodies towards fixing what's kind of going on, then I'm not doing my job well. And so that's where I kind of have to go back and think, what else do I need to be doing to get them better? So as far as, other things that I I would want just a, you know, primary care docs to know about what we do. Cause a lot of them are like, you know, I, I, and I can say this uh, after kind of going through my family medicine residency, I was like, yeah, I I get what it takes to be a sports doc. I'm just going just to kind of go through the motion. I'm going through a fellowship just to go through the motion so that I know what to do, but there is so much that I learned, you know, it's like uh, To say that you've gone through a family residency and you understand all of uh, orthopedics, that you understand all of rheumatology, that you understand all of neurology, and I'm not saying by any means that I know all of those, but I definitely know a lot more than when I did when I went through just my family medicine residency alone. I have a much more broad scope of things. I definitely have a better look at how to kind of get people moving, how to get them active, things that I can do to try to help them out. For example, for uh, tendinopathy. I was aware of probably three things that I could do to treat chronic tendon injury or an acute tendon injury when I was uh, just going through residency. After you know going through fellowship and being out in practice for several years, I can probably name 16 things off the top of my head that I could do for a um, chronic tendon kind of injury. So there's lots of different things that we can do, lots of different things that I'm continuing to learn how to kind of do to be able to help uh, different conditions to get people more active.
0: What other specialties do you work the closest with?
1: I partner a lot with physical therapy. So I uh, definitely see, uh, you know, it's like I'm constantly talking with physical therapists. I partner very closely with athletic trainers. I'm constantly on the phone with athletic trainers. I'm making sure that we're coordinating the care of the athletes. So those are two groups that you work uh, very intimately with within, uh, within sports medicine. Just being in the family clinic. Um, There is a reference just this morning. uh, One of the uh, PAs at a family medicine office that refers to me called just to ask me some questions about one of their patients. And so I like to try to be on call for anybody that might need my help. And so sometimes that's an urgent care clinic also like, hey, is this something that, you know, what would you do for this? And is this something that you would see? Or would I send this over to orthopedic surgery? So oftentimes uh, I am, you know, coordinating a lot of uh, care with uh, those individuals trying to think of a uh, other specialists, you know, there is some interaction with rheumatology, not like a ton. I'm trying to think about, it. and I definitely interact a lot with orthopedic surgeons also, you know, as far as I, uh, just the case that I saw today, I needed to interact with orthopedic surgeons for a couple different cases, a couple different reasons. For one, the patient wasn't insured. The patient was not in my County, but I uh, had come from a uh, uh, County over the Dent, uh, Denton County. So they weren't in Tarrant County. And so we had to figure out what, you know, I was like, okay, this is a patient that needs surgery. Would you guys agree? Because I don't, you know, if I can manage this myself and great, but I was like, let me just double check. And they're like, no, that's definitely an unstable fracture. You're right for wanting to send it to ortho. I was like, okay, good. All right. Now who can take it? And it took me coordinating with probably, I had to call six different orthopedic surgeons that I know of in my area before I was able to figure out where I can get my patient to be able to be effectively treated just because she didn't have insurance. And so that was a little bit of a difficult thing. So, you know, it's again, I'm on the phone a lot. I definitely claim my phone on my tax bill because Mm -hmm. uh, I, I I use it quite a bit for uh, just communicating.
0: What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into sports med?
1: A lot. (laughs) Or things that I wish I knew back then kind of deal or
0: yeah. What, what do you know that you wish you knew before going into it?
1: You know, I guess, you know, things that I, I was a kinesiology major and one of the paths I could have taken with kinesiology is I could have learned, I could have gone through an athletic training path and become a certified athletic trainer while I was going through my uh, undergraduate degree. And that's something I think would have been cool because can I tape athletes? Yeah. Do I know how to tape athletes? Well, no. And so you know, I feel like just having a little bit more of that background. Anytime I work events with uh, athletic trainers, I really try to soak up their knowledge, what they're able to kind of teach me. And then I teach them. It's a two-way kind of street with that. But having gone back to college, if I could have uh, done that, I think that would have been brought into me a little bit more. Also just uh, learning more, but I, you know, I consider myself to be fairly business savvy as far as uh, knowing billing and coding, but as far as knowing how to start a business, how to run a business, learning some more of those things. And so if there's anybody that has like a combined MBA program, I think that could be a very good thing just to be able to build yourself into a better, more well-rounded businessman within your practice. Just because, uh, you know, you might be employed and then you might need to still understand certain things that you need to uh, learn how to kind of manage. Maybe you want to go into your own practice. But I just had to manage your money better, too, because I um, I see plenty of people who are awesome at what they do, but they're not awesome at managing their finances. And so sometimes that leads to them having to change their practice, not necessarily for the better. I'm in a place where I'm comfortable, but I could be more comfortable. I'm still paying student debt off and I'm uh, seven years out of a, uh, am 11 years out of medical school and uh, seven years out in practice. And so um, it would be great if I could have that paid off. and I definitely have friends who have just managed money better, made better investments, and so they don't have to face that. So that's probably the best thing I can think of off the top of my head.
0: What do you like the most about being a sports medicine physician?
1: I like that, uh, I mean, for one, I say I can sleep well every night. I know I'm doing the best for my patients. I I know that I'm helping people to the best of my ability. I have good humility about what I know, what I don't know. And uh, I I know that I'm doing the best to try to keep my patients moving and keep them active. You know, it's like, I, uh, you have those, like those little wins where the patient's like, Hey doc, I was just able to do this. I wasn't able to do this before. Now I can. Doc, this is the first night I've uh, been able to sleep without pain forever or whatever. So those, you know, just those little wins are definitely uh, a great part of, uh, about what you do. And then just, uh, again, just, uh, medicine is, a. Uh, It's, it can be a frustrating at times kind of a field to be in as far as dealing with medical records, all those other kind of things. And so if you know that you really want to do this, you need to be passionate about it. And you need to know that this is what you love. And if I had to go back and do this again, would I do this again? And I could say, absolutely. I love what I do. And I would definitely uh, do this again.
0: You stole one of my questions, Uh, but another one, Uh, what do you like the least about being a sports medicine physician?
1: You know, one thing I I talk about is sometimes I wish, because we do so much uh, volunteering at different events, it's not the most lucrative of fields, you know, and also I practice with very good ethics and morals, and so I don't do things just to do them. I make sure it's absolutely medically necessary. I've seen sports med physicians that do uh, things similar to me, and I, I, sorry, my daughter's (laughs) just getting out of her appointment, she's bothering me. I see uh, um, doctors that are doing, kind of practicing some of these things, such as like stem cell PRP, kind of irresponsibly, just doing it willy-nilly. And I try to make sure that patients absolutely need those type of things. Uh, Sometimes I, you know, my my father wanted me to go into orthopedic surgery because he wanted me to do well, be financially, he wanted me to be financially sound. And so sometimes, Sometimes I wish, like, oh, man, that'd be awesome if I loved orthopedic surgery. That'd be awesome if I loved dermatology or ophthalmology. Because I had, you know, I, I, I actually did well on those rotations. I just had no passion for it. So mm. sometimes I was like, oh, that'd be awesome if I just had a passion for something that paid really awesome. <laughs> but uh, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. I'm happy. But, uh, but there's people that are richer, but I don't know if they're richer in spirit.
0: Yeah. Any last words of wisdom for the student who may be interested in sports medicine now after listening to this?
1: Best thing I would say is find a sports medicine mentor and just maintain good contact with them as you kind of go through, just check in, make sure it's something that you're still passionate about. Make sure that you're doing the kind of things to set yourself up for this type of, uh, you know, this type of future. And then just get involved, uh, you know, volunteer at events, find events. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's like a, I'm in Texas. Wrestling's not a huge thing in Texas. So I found wrestling events and I made attendings that I worked with uh, during medical school say, hey, can you go out and cover this event? So I created the event to be able to cover the sport that I was passionate about. And uh, that's kind of, you know, my, my, by being that active with it, that's where I was able to become a team doctor with USA Wrestling, which was always one of my, my dreams. And so I kind of made that happen.
0: All right, there you have it again, Dr. Daniel Clearfield, a family sports medicine physician in private practice, now out of training for the last seven years, talking about his specialty. Hopefully that was helpful for you. Again, if you have questions about osteopathic... Again, if you have questions about osteopathic manipulative medicine, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash 273, where we talk all about it with Dr. Clearfield. We hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time, hopefully soon. Again, shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net to help me find some more guests for this podcast. And that's uh, hopefully when we'll talk to you again. See you next time.